0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. You're about to meet and get to know yet another creative woman with a multifaceted career. Denise Roberts-Herlin is a dancer, an educator, and an activist. Let's begin with dance. She's a founding member of Parsons Dance, during which time she set Mr. Parsons' work on the Purchase Dance Corps and Netherlands Dance Theater. Denise was part of the Paul Taylor Dance Company and was featured in the PBS WNET Dance in America special, Speaking in Tongues. There's much more dance to share, and we'll get to that shortly. Education. Denise has taught at Manhattan's prestigious Juilliard and LaGuardia School of the Performing Arts, as well as Keene State College in New Hampshire, and her alma mater, Purchase College, where she received the President's Award for Achievement. Last but so not least, Activism. Denise is the founding director of Dancers Responding to AIDS, a program of Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, Under her leadership, DRA has produced more than 150 events, including the very popular annual Fire Island Dance Festival. Together, they have raised a combined $300 million to provide life-saving medication, healthy meals, and other social services for people who are living with HIV AIDS. Denise is also an inaugural member of the Dancers Resource Advisory Council, a program of the Actors Fund. She's won a slew of honors and awards for her good works, Denise and her husband. Nathan Hurland, Broadway Carer's production manager, have a son and daughter, the daughter who happens to be a soloist with the American Ballet Theater. So let's meet and get to know Denise Roberts-Hurland. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me. All right, Denise. Did you dance in the barn in the backyard of your house as you were growing up? <laughs> Actually, there was a dance studio a block away from
1: my house. And my mother was like, gosh, I need to get you involved in something. Because I was a little bit old. My I was a January birthday, so she felt like, gosh, I'm you're hanging around the house a little bit too long. Um, and so she t- enrolled me in a dance class. And you were how old? Um, I was four. Okay, five. okay. And, yeah, it was
0: from that on. You know, I interviewed Wendy Whelan, Uh, uh, who I absolutely loved, and she told such a great anecdote that I had never heard of the expression Irish twins, you know, babies that are close Uh in uh age. uh And her mother was a little on the overwhelmed side and didn't know what to do (laughs) with her. And so the neighbor said, hey, there's a dance studio down the block, and obviously the rest is history. And I said to her, you know, she could have enrolled you in a soccer camp for that (laughs) matter. Well, and the fact that it was a block away, way
1: allowed me to be independent uh-huh. and go on my own. So once I became a little bit older, suddenly it wasn't about my mother needing to be there in order right. for me to take these classes, which can happen so much. Where was and, this? Where did you grow up? Um, in upstate New York, Johnson City, New York, right? right Binghamton, New York.
0: This obviously spoke to you, you know, dance, correct? And it just was something that stayed with you? It immediately entered my body.
1: It was natural, organic. It was something that just, you know,
0: was something I should do. And I did it. Isn't that crazy? And just in terms of it being, you know, again, she could have enrolled you in something completely different, you know?
1: No, it was quite arbitrary that it just happened to be this dance studio was a a, a block away right correct but I think that because it was something that clicked with me so early on and I seemed to be tenacious and such so that I stuck with it which a lot of children you know you go in and out and I like this right but you also
0: have to have the talent and ability nobody's going to humor you you know correct you know
1: Mm -hmm. I mean a lot of times you know Probably talk a little bit about my daughter who has, you know, far surpassed me as far as my dance career. But that idea people would say, oh, you must be the driving force behind your daughter. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, I drive her around a lot. That's true, <laughs> but obviously, it has to come from within. All that sort of impetus to work so hard and continue with something like that—you have to love it." You well, it's bigger it. than you are. As over twenty-five years later, I'm still at my doing my work with the answers responding to AIDS. Well, there you so go. It's probably just my personality, I
0: guess. So, as you got older, it was your extracurricular activity until you got to college or no? Or did you go to a special high school? No,
1: no, no. It was, you know, the 60s and 70s. So it was not necessarily uh a wealth of opportunity for mm-hmm. the arts mm-hmm. in the public school system. And especially in upstate New York. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you were in the band and music, obviously lots to do, mm-hmm. as well as a little bit of theater. But as far as dance, not not at all, compared to what is available now um, across the country. So it was absolutely after school. And it was something that I grew and continued and more and more. And then when I got to be in high school, I had a brief moment of like, well, it's kind of fun to do some stuff here, too. You mean so other I was, things? I was a cheer I was going to say that. Did you want to be a cheerleader? And I was yes. vice president of my class in mm-hmm. student government. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, very civic-minded, I believe, always. Mm-hmm. So I became very active in that thing. But it, when it came time to apply to college, um, you know, I thought, well, I love science. I... Um, The thought of being a doctor crossed my mind, or a nurse. Um, But then this pull towards dance was there. Bigger than you, huh? Absolutely. And I thought, well, I can't always do that. So Mm. I can always... Change your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I applied and was accepted at Purchase College, which is a wonderful conservatory of dance, uh, part of the SUNY system. Yes, State University, University of New York. York, for those who don't know. And, you know, it really <clears throat> offered a welcome entree to a world that I never would have investigated on my own. And because it was a state school, because I could afford, you know, we were very. You know, working class family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My mother was a nurse. My father's a truck driver. So I was able to attend college, you know, based on what how what they
0: earned. So when you got to purchase is when the wheels started to really oh, move and tra- change my life. I absolutely will say that purchase
1: college is the reason I am here today. It offered me that entree. And I mm-hmm. think it'll, you know, as much as I dreamt of going to NYU Tish. You know, Where I went, just looked at the mm-hmm. program, you know, all the brochures yeah, with yeah. glee, right? And it was $8,000 a year. That's a bargain. <laughs> and 19, I was yeah. oh, would have been a freshman no, in I 1980. Understand. Yeah. And my parents just looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. And so that's somebody's
0: salary, yearly salary. So
1: it was 1300 a
0: semester. Mm-hmm. Purchase. 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 Mm-hmm. And, the The wealth of opportunity that I found it didn't make a damn bit of difference, absolutely. Right? And also, Purchase is basically a suburb of New York City, absolutely. so it's not like you were yeah, in, yeah, yeah. you know, the cornfields of Iowa. <laughs> right? right. You grew up no, in no. the cornfields. <laughs> so it it <clears> just <throat>
1: offered. It was just the perfect place for me to grow artistically.
0: So, as a result of that, as that you were involved in school, then did that morph into? Going professional? I um, was lucky in my junior
1: year at Purchase. uh, One of the many plethora of things I got to participate and perform in was a piece by Paul Taylor called Cloven Kingdom, which he choreographed in 1976. So in 1982, that seemed just, you know, oh wow, this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And performed that work as part of our, you know, uh, repertoir. a mm-hmm. repertoire I mm-hmm.
0: purchased and that was it. I was like, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. Uh-huh. Did you want to be a modern dancer? I mean, you knew that you weren't going to do ballet, for example. I, I was strong in ballet. And I
1: have good technique, mm-hmm. but, you know, I am a curvy girl, shall we say. Oh, okay. And That's so interesting. I knew that that was never my, going to be my destiny. Mm-hmm. I knew my my ability, my physicality, my, uh, you know, my technique would allow me great things, but there's certain reality.
0: And there's more flex, no pun intended, flexibility, <laughs> right? In, in that, I mean, ballet Absolute. is, there's a, you know. Absolutely, and absolutely. Despite the talent, a rigidity, you know, in terms
1: of ballet. I just walked into the doors as a purchase and literally had no expectation of what was going to happen. And literally in that first sort of audition process, you know, I, Mel Wong, who was a member of the Merce Cunningham company prior to his being a professor, uh, you know, took off our shoes and and started a, a combination that just was like, what the heck is going on here? But You know, for some reason it didn't frighten me. It intrigued me. Mm -hmm. It was not Mm -hmm. I was like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I I think it just set me on a path that I didn't know I would go on. I mean obviously Sometimes that's the best stuff. Absolutely. I mean maybe I had heard of Martha Graham Mm -hmm. watching, Mm -hmm. you know, PBS. But I certainly I didn't know who Paul Taylor was at all when I was a freshman. So you graduate and then did it take much it took for you a to little time to get into a company. It took a little time, um, you know. You have to have the right fit. They have to need you, whether who whoever you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I studied at the Paul Taylor School had just opened. Paul had just opened a school, and I, you know, was sort of intrigued. And at, in the meantime, I uh, met David Parsons, who was a dancer in the company at the time, and he was starting, as things happen, his own group. Hey, Dee, come on. <laughs> what do you say? You know, and so it things evolve by yes. the people you meet and the connections you make. And, uh, you know, and I danced with a, a, a woman named Hannah Kahn, who um, probably was more of the Lamone tradition than a, sort of a Taylor Graham tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Morris was oh, someone sure. who, uh-huh. who was in her company and then formed his own company.
0: Do you kind of... You traveled kinda, from one to another, do, sort of as, and is that common? It is
1: extremely common. Okay, it is extremely common, and it's probably more common today than thirty years ago, since it is more difficult for uh, dance organizations to survive, have uh, employment for their dancers. Mm-hmm. That's how they make their money mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was. Let's see. I graduated in '84, and it was in 1987, '88. When David Parsons' company that I was part of was able to, we were like had jobs. I didn't have three other
0: jobs. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and then in
1: 1989, I joined the Taylor Company and and did not
0: have to have employment. Did you know, or did you need to choreograph?
1: No, in college. Uh, Composition was part of the curriculum, Mm -hmm. and I knew immediately that this was was not not for for me. Part of it was this notion of not having control. You know, you're giving it off to somebody else, right? You're composing. You're doing this, and suddenly you have to watch these dancers do your work. Vision, uh uh-huh. And I think I and I don't want to make my sound make myself sound like I'm some sort of control freak, but I just felt more confident possibly in that notion of me, what I am doing, Mm -hmm. as opposed to that creative process. It's extremely vulnerable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it
1: wasn't, it's never been something from within that I felt that I needed to express myself in that way.
0: So there the transition from one opportunity to uh-huh. another, was fairly fluid for you? I, I will say again,
1: I guess I used the word tenacious before, uh-huh. and I, you know, just stuck with it as opposed to graduating, not getting imp- solid employment where I was paying my rent based mm-hmm. on my performing right. only. Um, I stuck with it. And so... And then eventually couple, that did become absolutely, your... Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that, that yeah, it,
0: your it, it life's work, so But to it be. was
1: not... A moment of I graduated I got a job mm-hmm. and there I am dancing all over the world right. as, you know, a 22-year-old. That didn't happen.
0: How did you get involved in being a founding member of Parsons Dance and then also getting hooked up with the dance theater in the Netherlands?
1: I was at the Paul Taylor School and Dave Parsons was a member of the company. It was his last year as a member of the company and he was forming his company and literally was like, hey, D." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm doing this. You gotta. You gotta come with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it. You know how do you say no to an opportunity about something that you start from the beginning? It was just so thrilling. It was intense and a lot of drama, uh-huh. so to speak, and you have a lot of work that you have to do besides what's on stage. It's dealing with actually touring and the costumes and managing, company management. So
0: mundane stuff as well as creative Oh my gosh, stuff. it was
1: fed from everything. You know? uh-huh. Was so it a successful
0: a venture? Absolutely. His company
1: is thriving brilliantly Isn't today. Isn't that wonderful? Um, but it was something too that I knew the work of Paul Taylor was what was sort of my dream always. Mm -hmm. So therefore, when an opportunity came for me to have that position, I was able to do that. As far as uh, going to NDT, there were opportunities to set uh, David's work. So it was me traveling to the Netherlands to set a piece of David's on Mm -hmm. the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And earlier on in my career, I did more of Teaching more, you know, yes, having stints, but uh-huh. it, but uh, that too, I knew early on this wasn't going to be my path as far as education.
0: That education wasn't going to be your path, correct? But correct. you also knew that at some point you're not going to be able to dance oh, anymore. Sure. I mean, that's obviously absolutely a gi- given, and how wonderful to be able to have a chapter after that. And again, to reference Wendy, when I met and interviewed her, it was. With the release of her documentary "Restless, Restless Cree- Creature," "Restless mm-hmm, Creature," mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. being a dancer was so critical to her that when she found out that she couldn't, I really took in what she said. And yet, you can have a chapter two and reinvent yourself, but till you get to that point, it can be kind of tough.
1: I I had an experience at the time was devastating, but it taught me a lot. Okay, when I entered, so here I finally get into the Paul Taylor Dance Company, my dream, and six weeks after I. Make my debut. We are on tour in Europe, and I tear my ACL at Sadler's Wells, and end up coming home on a plane. Oh, jeez, And there were a few doctors at the time that I had seen who were like, "Oh, I think this—you know—you might think about something else mm-hmm. you want to do." And mm-hmm. I was like, "Are you kidding me? I can't. This I, is, I, no, my soul. twenty-seven yeah. years old. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't." sort of listened to that voice. Mm -hmm. I listened to another voice that I just need to work hard and get through it. And it was at that time, which was 1989 at the, you know, a very pitiful moment of the AIDS epidemic. And I, you know, decided I wasn't going to feel sorry for myself sitting here in my apartment. while. You know, the company's off on a grand tour, and I'm hobbling around going to physical therapy in my dank apartment. So I uh, lived on the Upper West Side and walked over to God's Love We Deliver. And it was a very critical time because there were so many people who are homebound. And so God's Love work was instrumental in providing comfort and care for so many and so I started delivering meals Mm -hmm. to people and it was really the first time in my life where I dance wasn't the reason I was feeling uh fulfilled and committed and inspired and all of those things that we all do why we do what we do yeah and it really taught me that lesson like okay it's gonna be okay And I feel that because I was younger, as opposed to the natural progression of dancers, is you do it until you can't do it. Right. Right. And forty generally is a magic number where you're not leaving the ground or going to the ground, no jumping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, Wendy is an exception to that very important rule. Right. Still performing, you know, well into her 50s.
0: Was it at that time, too, that the education part of your life was coming together? It was at
1: that time, too, that the education part of my life, I knew that
0: wasn't what I was going to
1: do. I had definitely figured out that that was not my path.
0: Okay, even though not, you did teach. I, I did, did. teach. You know what I mean? I had these moments of like kind of um like visiting professor absolutely, almost. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you enjoyed that, but that was not yeah, that no, was not your chapter too. That was that was a chapter that is I'm glad I went through it. Yes, you know, that yes. that's not what I am meant to do. So, <laughs> let's focus on this activism. You gave birth to dancers responding to AIDS
1: myself and Hernando Cortez who is a dancer with the Paul Taylor dance company with uh-huh me. Together, we co- we founded Dancers Responding to AIDS. And Because why? It just it was all around us. There were two men that we danced with, two beautiful souls, Christopher uh, Gillis and Jeffrey Wadlington. And Chris was a, had been a dancer in Pulse Company since the early 70s. And Jeff was 27, 26 when I met him. And he was 29 when he passed away. And Chris was 42. So it was, you know, like with a lot of things, when it's around you, you're compelled. Oh, my God, I have to do something. Look at the... And you can't turn a blind you eye. You cannot because they are... It was just so visceral and it was so... And ubiquitous, you know? So part of our... Yes. Every waking moment yes. of our life in the company. And, you know, when you watch someone die, it's so... And it's a slow, long process. Um You know, it was very, very tragic. Renato and I were like, we have to do something. (laughs) And so in the beginning, it was more about uniting the dance community, coming together, you know, marching in parades, doing different kinds of things to just have a voice. Because at that time, you know, there wasn't a lot of people listening. And it just, there wasn't a lot of support. There wasn't a lot of like, we have to really... Let's attend to this. It was in 1993. um, We were gathered for a a pride parade, you know, gay pride parade in June of 93. And, you know, we weren't just going to (laughs) march. We were dancers. So it would be like we would – the Graham Company that was there would come up with a phrase and then Taylor People and City Ballet and Twyla and ABT, like all these different – So you all came together. All came together to – you know, stand united yeah. and, and in the with face people of this that's nightmare. what's happening yeah. with everything around us. And so we would let the group ahead of us go further so there'd be space so then we could like jete down. Yes, yes, right. yes. Uh-huh. Because of course we were young and realized, hello, why would you want to jete on cement? But anyway <laughs> youth is you yes, know, Yes, is that's the whatever. greatest thing about youth. Right. So uh, you know, we kept Jumping into this group ahead of us. And Tom Viola, executive director of Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, you know, turned around and was like, who are you people? And I'm like, we're dancers responding to AIDS. And he very astutely and immediately without hesitation said, you know, maybe you should come talk to me. So by August of 93, DRA mm-hmm. had become a program of Broadway Cares,
0: Equity Fights AIDS. When did that when was Broadway Cares uh, founded?
1: Uh, well, it was uh, 1988 uh, is when, uh, you know, it was Broadway Cares yes. and Equity Fights AIDS. And in 92, they merged. they merged. So it was just
0: after their merger. Okay, uh, See, a kind of ground floor in a sense for you.
1: Yeah, and Tom uh, worked with Colleen Dewhurst. Um, for Equity Fights AIDS mm-hmm.
0: is what his... his So what was the goal of this marriage? What did he think? What was he hoping well, to do? Well,
1: uh, the goal was a sustainability in the sense that, you know, we are not a commodity. The dance community is not a commodity in the performing arts. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the ability for us to actively m- raise money was not necessarily gonna be really viable. But if we you were more com- compromised in a well, sense. Well, you know, it's like I mean, just to produce something costs money. Of course to it, re- you know what I mean? So the idea of us really being able to solidly raise money was was difficult. For us to have a voice and say, pay attention, our pay attention to these people around us. They need you. That's different, right, to be a sort of a, a loud voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so because Tom was like – you should be part of Broadway Cares because you're focused on the dance community. We're focused on the theater community. We all have the same goal. We are, we want to raise money so that we can provide for services at the Actors Fund, the AIDS initiative at the Actors Fund or provide Those are the social workers. I'm not a social worker. Tom wasn't a social worker. That idea that we have the ability to come together, unite Bring a very talented group of people together that will draw attention, and but provide for these, or, these uh, services that will actually be
0: providing the direct services to people in need. And also to expose the fact that your community is very much impacted Absolutely. by this vicious disease. Absolutely, It was small, obviously, in the beginning, and, and Hernando and I were
1: still dancing in the Paul Taylor company. In spite of your ACL? Oh, well— You know, I I I worked hard. Okay, okay. (laughs) And it no, it's great. Yeah, yeah. uh, No, I worked hard and definitely came back and danced for five years. uh, In spite of after that, yeah, yeah.
0: Professionals supposedly told you, yeah. Yeah. So and then you so this again, putting words in your mouth. This became bigger than you, absolutely. And by
1: joining with Broadway Cares, suddenly we were able to uh, be creative. And figure out ways that we can be united and raise money. We figured out that dance is a hard medium Mm -hmm. to present. You need a stage. You need lighting. You know, you need the proper way for the audience to watch the dance. So there's a lot of components that are needed in order to watch dance.
0: Yes, I never thought
1: about that. So but that- but you don't need an, an enormous amount of space. Of or you course. Don't, you know, of course. So, or the space that's appropriate. You know, It's not like, oh, let's do something outdoors, but it can't be on a cement. You're not going to make dancers do that. So Hernando went out to the Pines a lot on Fire Island. Well, people have to know about that. Oh, so the Fi- Fire Island Pines is this beautiful sanctuary uh, on Fire Island, which is an island uh, off – just off the coast of Long Island. It's about an hour and 15 minutes outside of downtown, Minttown, uh, New York City. And the Pines is a community. There's many communities along Fire Island. But the Pines is a unique sanctuary for gay men to come and feel safe feel safe and be empowered, mm-hmm. here they are because mm-hmm. obviously it was founded in the nineteen fifties. So it's I didn't realize it went back that far. And it's just a beautiful sanctuary where there's no roads, it's just boardwalks, no lights, you know, so it has this you can't believe you're only an hour outside of New
0: York, mm-hmm. kind
1: of, kind of like in a paradise. It. But you know, in in an environment where if you were if you were gay, you couldn't be gay at your job. You could hardly wear a pink shirt, you yeah, know, yeah. to work, let alone express that yourself. dual personality yes. or do life. So, yes. this offered that ability right. for people to have that sanctuary. Um, and, you know, obviously, and then by the 80s and 90s, it wasn't as severe as it was in, in the Pines' founding, but still, it offered sanctuary that was needed and necessary. And so, Hernando's like, there are these beautiful decks. You know, in people's homes. So outside in the back, so there'd be the pool and then there'd be this deck. So we're like, we could lay some Marley, which is a dance floor, and we could have a show out on Fire Island, a huh. captive audience of people who this mission meant a lot to. Who resonated with. Yeah. Uh huh. So maybe dance wasn't their thing, but this mission was important. So, in 1995, we had our first Fire Island Dance Festival. laid out a couple rolls of Marley, mixed up some drinks, and we had six, I think, dancers perform, set up a little bitty sound system, folding chairs. Some people sat around the pool, <laughs> and we raised almost $8,000. For that one-time yep. only shot. And Who it, did the choreography back um, then? It How was, did that work? All of our events are bringing together different companies, different genres. You know, I'm a firm believer that we support everyone in the performing arts, whether you are a dancer who, you know, is working in the bowels of Brooklyn someplace or you're at Lincoln Center, Uh that we are here for you, for your health and Mm well-being. And so it was important that, I feel it's important that we represent you in a lot of different ways on these programs. I mean, we can't always capture some of the esoteric stuff that's happening in the world because it's not really proscenium. Yeah, <laughs> like, I got you. I got you. But uh, so it was. There was um, Desmond Richardson, who had just returned from Frankfurt Ballet. He had been in Ailey, and then he was in Frankfurt Ballet. Uh, Tom Musbrooker from Joffrey performed a dancer from Taylor Hernando performed Um, so it was really galvanizing you know a lot of different people and last year was our 25th anniversary crazy huh it was it is crazy because I it just you know, you just don't think it's been that long. But we've grown to become this not only force of fundraising, right, but also a real cultural touchstone for this community. Is it a one-time shot? I mean, is it one night or is it a series it's, of nights? It's a series of nights. So now, what we do is we take over this the largest property in the Pines and cover the pool and build a theater. Wow! Then build a stage that's right up against the bay, so it really has this uh, vista. You have looking what like a backdrop on the water. Yeah, it is. the Great South Bay. Right yeah. How spectacular, and the sunsets. Oh you know, my goodness! So, what is the draw? We usually have about twelve hundred to fourteen hundred people who attend. So there's seating for four hundred, and we have three shows. Another one on Sunday. Uh, we now have like a day trip where people come in from the city because it became obvious that it's uh, you have to like rent a house for a week in the Pines. It's a beach community. Right, right. It's not like, oh, there's a hotel and mm-hmm. stay at the Marriott.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that's not there. And that's what, what's so wonderful about it. That oh, it's not absolutely. It is pristine
1: and yeah. and as pure as and it intimate, was. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That idea of bringing people in on a bus and have it, making a whole day of it mm-hmm. and making it sort of this sort of special event. And that's become kind of popular last year we raised for that just that event for was 657 thousand dollars yeah that's mind-blowing and you know it is a unique situation in that there is this community has 700 homes so it's very dense in a way densely populated for you know it's five minutes from the bay to the ocean Mm. and probably you know a 30-minute walk from one end of the community to the other So it's not large by Mm -hmm. any means. But, you know, we just have a tremendous amount of support from these donors who I think on one hand are thrilled that we are providing this cultural experience for them Mm -hmm. and offering something that represents their community in a really shining, beautiful way. And then the other side is they trust us. They know that we are out there supporting not now not just people living with hiv so that's another part that's of what the i
0: was story. going to ask you yes. i mean has yes. that expanded yes. to include what in 1996
1: when the introduction of protease inhibitors really enabled people to live with hiv as opposed to having dehydrated. it be a dense, death sentence yeah you know and it was very very immediate you know within a year a year and 18 months immediate Uh, the mortality changed drastically. And Tom Viola, very astutely as well, said, you know what, we need to to think about broadening our mission. And the first sort of group that he felt that we should support are the women who were basically the caregivers for so many of these men who were Mm -hmm. dying. Mm -hmm. It was mostly men. And so the Phyllis Newman Women's Health Initiative of the Actors Fund we gave that the money to, mm-hmm. to start that. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of that thank you. Um, and so we continue that today. And as time goes on, there were more aspects of the programs at the fund that we began to, to help with. Yes, uh-huh. um, which now include, you know, financial wellness, health insurance, helping people navigate the difficult health insurance landscape mm-hmm. of our country, mm-hmm. the Freedman Health Center for the Performing Arts, substance abuse counseling, the HIV AIDS initiative, the Dancer's Resource <laughs> that I'm part of, housing initiatives, a whole host of things. And then also in 96 was when we began to um, have our Broadway uh, Broadway uh, National Grants Program. So there are over 450 AIDS and family service organizations that we fund annually. And this is also obviously initially was about AIDS service organizations. And around 2008, so after the recession, it became very apparent that food was
0: an integral part of what was the need. So it goes back to the circle in terms of God's love we deliver ah, almost, right? Right, yes, yes. And so, you know, obviously, you know, a
1: lot of philosophy now is that, you know, you have a healthy meal. You are, you you maintain a healthy body. You take your medicine. You are undetectable, which means you are untransmittable. Aha. Uh-huh. So supporting the uh, nutrition mm-hmm. of a global community is right. better. And I think at that time, too, a lot of uh, aid service organizations realized they opened their doors to the broader community from a food insecurity point of view. They were able to welcome that as all, and, and keep their business sort of growing right. thriving, too. Right, right. So we have three grant rounds a year for Barbie Cares for the, our grants program is exclusively for food. And it's usually about 120 to 130 food programs that we we help fund.
0: Does it give you pause when you talk about it like this and to think of what it started off with when you gave birth to this <laughs> and now how it's really grown? I absolutely didn't think it would happen
1: but then i think when you're in the thick of it you're not thinking about that you're thinking about survival I do something, man. you're thinking yeah. about i have to help this person yeah. this person and and i think that it was again just lucky so lucky that we were able to um collaborate and be a part of this family this Robbie Cares family, because you know, the commercial world versus the non for profit world, like I had said before, I wouldn't be here today if it was just me and Hernando still trying to make it work. Right, like that right. wasn't possible, that would never be possible. That, uh, you know, being part of a commercial world helped us,
0: yes. Well, th- that you owned the fact that you had to do that, you know, and doesn't yes. mean that you what. Sold yourself. No,
1: you know? no, 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 no. And and you know what? It's part of the American yeah. – it's part of who we are as Americans, part of our performing arts culture. Right. You know, whether you are this, you know, crazy modern dancer someplace, you know, dancing for 15 people, or you're wicked. Uh-huh. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. It's oh. not different. They still have the same health needs. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. So we want to provide for that.
0: I would be a little remiss if I didn't get personal with you. Is that how you met your husband? Yes, yes. So my husband was— So there was another bonus out of this, too, unbeknownst so, to you. So my husband was the production stage manager
1: for the Paul Taylor Dance Company. Ah, okay. And then, as now, he is the production manager for Broadway Care. As I said, yes, because I'm Italian, and you know, you just everyone has to. We have to do things together, right? So my husband, my kids, my brothers, my aunt, my parents you know everyone was sort of like
0: got on the bandwagon. Yeah, so at at Fire
1: Island, my entire family (laughs) is volunteering out there. You know, so. And so my husband, just by the nature of, oh, you know, we're going to do this, going to do that, he was (laughs) doing all this stuff. And he – and it just was growing. The Uh organization was growing. There were more uh, events. We now do easy over 40 events a year, whether it's the uh, Easter Bonnet competition that happens in the spring here on Broadway to culminate the six weeks of fundraising that happens – here in this community for Barbie Cares. Uh, and that culminates in that, or it's the plethora of other events that we, we do throughout the year. So he is in charge of making sure that what we come up with that should happen on the stage happens. Can
0: fly. When you hear yourself talking, do, do
1: you get em- emotional <laughs> I, about I, it? I do. I get, I get, I do. I'm getting emotional right now because it's just um, a privilege.
0: Well, the world needs people like (laughs) Denise Roberts, Perlin. I would also be remiss if we didn't bring, not at the expense of your son, but your daughter into this. So uh, that's hereditary, huh? One of the things that I
1: say is that I brought her home from the hospital, put her on the changing table, and she stretched out (laughs) as babies do. But she, like, pointed her foot and whatever. I was like, uh-oh. Oh, Oh, isn't that crazy? You know, and... You know, and like I said before, you your job as a parent is to encourage them and provide Support, these yes. opportunities and drive them around a lot and make sure she has her pointe shoes and they're sewn and, I, you know, the costumes, whatever, all those kinds of things. We live in Westchester. Mm-hmm. And I took her to a little ballet, you know, ballet school up there mm-hmm. when she was, you know, five maybe. And she was kind of like, a, I was like, dance is fun you're eight, (laughs) you know? Go for it. You should have fun. Yeah. Uh, And so I found a wonderful competition dance studio where tap, jazz, lyrical, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, contemporary, and went to dance competitions and the whole bit, and she loved it and going, you know, I mean, it was so fun. And when she was 11, she uh, was Clara, Clara. In the Radio City Christmas Spectacular. Well, that's big. Okay. And it was truly, at that time, she's like, oh, my gosh, can I, do I have to go back to school? So this was the epiphany. Just This was her moment. She knew this theater was her world. And so she, you know, and that's like, what, a three-month four months out of the year, and then she would go back to school and back to her dance school. And she did a competition called Youth America Grand Prix where she won a scholarship to the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School at American Ballet Theater
0: when she was 12.
1: Oh, my gosh. And, you know, it was this moment, too, that you have with kids where you're in a car and you're, you know, like looking forward. Like you don't have to, like, look at each other and have that
0: conversation right right
1: easier because you're not looking at each other right and so she's like i'm not a ballerina mama I, i'm a i'm a contemporary dancer and i'm I said, well you have to try you've got this opportunity you have to try i mean i'm your mom i feed you i clothe you but i also have to know that i don't want you to be 18 years old and say have what regrets? the heck Didn't Mm -hmm. you make me do that? Because Mm -hmm. you were like, oh, I want to stay with my friends. Mm -hmm. Well, who doesn't want to stay with their friends?
0: Of course.
1: But, and and it was something where she just needed to try. And she... Uh, Went to the J.K.O. school and within six weeks was like, oh, this is different (laughs) and never looked back. And so she has been affiliated with American Ballet Theater really since she was 10, since they had like these little summer programs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's as much joy to see her grow as this artist, but for her to also be part of this family. That I know how important that has been for me to be part of the Paul Taylor family, sure. into
0: my DRA Broadway Cares family. Find your, your safe space, also, absolutely. Yeah. It's just and your lance men and women,
1: yeah, yeah. And you're as well as have this
0: creative, of course, you know, the creativity. Well, then it becomes bigger um, than you, yeah, yeah. You have to do yeah. it, you know, and
1: uh, yeah, so she is. You know, just really thriving and doing that's well, great. and traveling the world. Oh, how cool! And performing ballet. I mean, it's just you know that that's a pinch me moment too. To sit in the audience at and the Metropolitan yeah. Opera, yeah. and
0: well, maybe um, we invite her to be on the. Panel. Oh my gosh, she'd have a lot to say. Well, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Well, you've had a lot to say, and I say that in a really good way. I was really thrilled to get to meet and know you and what you do. This was really terrific. More continued success. You changed the world.
1: thank Thank you so much, Sandy.
0: Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.